to endorse Welch's products last week, were we? I may have uh, talked about it a couple times. But did anybody enjoy the fruit of the vine this week after the result of that uh, teaching? Did anybody go out and buy some juice or something like that? Did you think about grapes a little bit this week? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to go ahead and ask that, uh, Omid, if you go ahead and throw that graphic up when you get a chance. We're going to get right into the word this morning. Amen. Praise God. We just want to just confess this morning what's on the wall there. Jesus, we are here for you. Can we say that this morning? Jesus, we are here for you. And what did I tell you to do when you see the name Jesus? Replace it with the word, capital W, because that's who Jesus is. He's the living word, right? And so whenever you see the name Jesus, whenever you see him use I, or something like that. It doesn't work every time because of grammar and pronouns and different things like that. But most of the time you can get it. You can replace that with the word word and you can get revelation. You can see uh, what he says. I am the way, the truth and the life. Well, what's the way, the truth and the life, the word capital W. And then you begin to see the reality of the importance of the word. You know, we've heard for years and years, you know, Pastor Dale talk about get, get in your Bible, read it. You hear Pastor CJ exhort you, you, see, you hear me and other folks exhort you to get in the word. Why is that the case? Is it just a, a code of ethics? Is it just something that, that is a creed of the Christian? Like the Boy Scouts have their little motto. I was in FFA and we had the creed. I believe in the future of farming with a faith born not of words, but of deeds. How many of y'all are FFAers out here? What? Yes. Thank you. Somebody, do y'all remember those words? I guarantee you, man, I won like, I think I won, uh, I went up to PI and won that as a freshman, a green hand. PI for creed contest. But I got to tell you this morning, the word of God is much more than a creed. Amen. And that's what we're endeavoring to learn just a little bit about over these past two weeks is about the importance of the Word of God. It's not just a story book or a fairy tale for Christians to take solace in. It's not just a collection of stories of things that sound good to make us feel good when th times are bad. This is the living Word of God to us. It is his communication, his book of letters, his book of love, his book of life to us, folks. Do we believe this or not? And the reality is that so much of the church has so little experience with this. Why is that the case? I tell you this, I was talking to uh, CJ and Cornell the other day and I was like, dear God, you go and call, probably talk to eight out of 10 Christians and you ask them if they've ever read the Bible through from cover to cover at some point in time in their life. And I would say that most of them would have to say no. And I'm not bringing a religious whip here this morning because it's not about the mechanistic application of your life to read the word as a book so that you can say, I've checked that off my list. I'm talking about you be understanding and being having a relationship to the thing that you are grounded upon, to the thing that founds this religion. It's not a religion, this, this uh, faith. 
Hallelujah. Amen? And so the word is so important, folks. So important. And that's who we've talk, we're talking about. We're talking about the vine. We're talking about the word. We're talking about grapes like Jesus did when he gave this parable in John chapter 15. And so I don't want to go into uh, what we talked about last week because we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. How many of y'all remember smoking the bandit? That'll date me a little bit. So I invite you to go get the tape, it, or not the tape, but the MP3. That dates me too. Oh my goodness. Go download the MP3 from last week. It's on the website. I invite you to go do that and you can learn a little bit about viticulture, about growing grapes. And a lot of people might sit here and think, dear Lord, why did he talk so long about grapes? I went back and listened to it because I, I lose track of what I cover a lot of times. I ventured to, I, I, I endeavored to move by the anointing and to speak out what the Holy Ghost breathes through me unabated as much as possible. And I, I forget a lot of times what gets said. I forget about what ground I've covered. So I go back and listen to it. And I thought, dear Lord, I talked about grapes a long time. But I got to tell you, folks, the reason I did was because there is tremendous revelation in that. And we're going to learn about that today a little bit, okay? We're going to get into the spirituality of grapes this morning. I do have to correct something, though. It's so funny. You get a lot of facts and things going in your mind, and sometimes they can get crossed up. You know, I talked about uh, current. And a current doesn't come from the Thompson seedless. It comes from the Corinth grape. And it's really small. It's about half the size of a California seedless grape or raisin. So current is a raisin. I told you wrong. There is a raisin that comes from the Thompson seedless grape. It's called a sultana. How many of y'all have eaten sultanas before? Y'all are looking at me like, dear gosh, why do you got to give trivial tidbits on grapes? Well, because I'm, I want to give you good information. And I told you wrong last week. A current comes from a Corinth grape. And a sultana is the white grapes that come from Thompson Seedless. That, that's the, the raisins that come from Tom, Thompson Seedless grape. Raisins. Currants are raisin. I'm getting it all mixed up. Sultana is a raisin. One of them comes from one grape. The other one comes from another. Okay, we'll let that die. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. The disciple whom Jesus loved, chapter 15. Got to love John, don't you? When I get to heaven, I'm going to go up to John and say, hey, you weren't the only one he loved, brother. But you know what? I got to hug him and say, man, you had a tremendous revelation of it, though. Thanks. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, I got to say one more thing about the word and the relationship we have to it. You know, we often quote the scripture out of Revelation chapter 3 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear me and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and him with me. And, you know, we use that in the context of salvation. But I got to tell you, folks, that's wrong. I mean, it's not wrong. There's a revelation in that. But let me tell you the, the, the more uh, proper interpretation in terms of the context with which that word was given was that word was spoken to a church. Dear Lord, 
Are you telling me Jesus is on the outside of the door of a church? Talking to him, but I stand at the door and knock church. And again, what do I say to get revelation? Let's put the word word in there. Behold, the word stands at the door and knocks. If any man would open unto the word and let the word in, the word would come in and sup with you. It would bring you nourishment. Amen. That's the church of Laodicea. That's who, who, who the father was talking to. He was talking to the church of Laodicea. He was talking to a church. I'm going to say that again. He was talking to a church. And here Jesus is telling them, I'm on the outside of the door. Because I'm telling you, I'm talking to you this morning. And I've got to tell you this morning, by way of the Holy Ghost, I see the, the, the reality of that and the gravity of that pierces my heart. Because you realize that there is a blood-bought, born-again, covenant relation church being being addressed by the one who redeemed them and in whose life their life is founded but yet nothing that they do has jesus included in it the word the reality of the word that's how important the word of god is folks you can be a blood a bought born again christian be sitting in this pew this morning Confess yourself as righteous before God and all this kind of stuff. And those, those things are true. But the word, does it have a, do you commune with it? Does it have a place in your life? Do you let it in when it's there knocking at the door of your heart? To bring truth, to bring revelation, to bring life. Man, I tell you this morning. We are not that church. Right, Pastor CJ? We are not those that would be counted among the Laodiceans and those that would have Jesus on the outside of our door. We are not those that don't allow the word of God to come into our midst and to found what we're doing and to be the building blocks of what we do. Amen? You know, I think about that uh, that story. And if you read that account in, I think it's in Mark, you know, it says that Jesus was teaching and it says the power of Jesus was present to heal. And you know who, and I like, there's a couple of the, uh, of the translations of the Bible that says, and it talks about how it says a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees and so on and so forth came to gather themselves because Jesus was teaching. Let me just go there so I don't misquote something. Listen to what this says. It says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I I tell you, you see that and you think to yourself, dear Lord, it was present to heal all those religious folks. But not a single one of them made an appropriation for that healing. Guess what it took? It took people outside the religious camp whose whose heart was pricked by and, and who responded by faith to come. And they couldn't even push through for all the religious crowd that was there before the word. It's not enough to camp around the word of God and sing kumbaya and sweet by and by of religion. Because that is a perfect picture to me 
I can sit there and see the religious, the, what represented really kind of the church at that point in time and the leadership gathered around Jesus in such a crowd that the people that really were in the place to receive from him were on the outside looking in. And they had no way to get through the religion. They had no way to get through the constructs of man's attempts to get to the word and to receive the word. So guess what they did? They went to the raw bone reality of what it took to get to him. And we're going to go to the top, brother. And we're going to tear a hole in this edifice. We're going to tear a hole in this church. And we're going to bring, let our brother down. We're going to let our knee down in the midst of the word because the, his anointing is there. If he can get before him, he'll be healed. And I got to tell you this morning that the word of God doesn't say it was the faith of the sick man. It said it was the faith of the men that brought him. And so I got to tell you this morning, folks, don't give up on those you're believing for. Keep bringing them to the word of God. And if it takes us an effort that, that is outside the box, then do it. Tear a hole in that roof of religion. Tear a hole and, and go past the doctrines and edicts of religion and get before the almighty word of the living God and receive the benefits thereof. My goodness, I'm about to blow up up here. I got to tell you, it's the same picture as the Laodicean church. I can't get off that. Bunch of religion relating to the word of God, but yet the word is outside of them. The reality of what that word can bring to them is outside their context of reception. Okay, let's go on. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help me, help me, help me, Holy Spirit. And we just thank you that you would bring the revelation knowledge of the precious word of Jesus to these father this morning i give you the glory and the honor oh god thank you for good soil here good soil father god and lord god these aren't going to be those that would would hear like the other uh folks father god in the other uh three of the four um situations lord where things fell on the rocks where it fell on the path where it fell and the thorns choked it out but they're going to be the soil that takes it in it becomes engrafted and it produces some 30 60 and 100 fold return In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Okay, so let's move on through this. So we talked about the grape, and we talked about how, uh, let's see, Ron, is it the middle button? Hey, look at that. So we talked about the grapevine and we talked a lot of things about what it takes in order to cultivate grapes. And I told you one of the number one things that you have to do to cultivate grapes is to prune them. And and this represents that type, that pruning effort. And this represents one year's worth of pruning effort in the dormant season. This represents the pruning effort that it takes every single year. You keep moving forward into the productivity and promotion of that grape's fruitfulness. Every year you go back and you reset that growth and you dictate that growth so that the energies and the life that are in that vine will elaborate the productivity of its destination, of its destined fruitfulness. This side right here represents an unpruned section of the grape. Same grapevine. Same source of life, 
But yet if you leave that, if you leave that as it is and you let it go on for that year, that grape will put its efforts into the vegetative growth, continued vegetative growth. It will continue to elaborate branches. It will continue to elaborate more and more foliage and it will look beautiful, folks. It will look wonderful and it will be all, consider the grape, look at that grapevine, it's so beautiful, it's so attractive. But i got to tell you, the attractiveness and beauty of the vine is, that the reality of it is really not in its foliage, it's in the fruit that it elaborates. Amen? And so, you know, a lot of people's like, why did you talk about grapes so much? Folks, I, I hope that you, you get the simplicity of this, of this illustration. I didn't come up with it, Jesus did. John chapter 15, that's exactly what he's talking about. So let me go there. And let me get over to translation that relates to most people here, NIV. So he used this. I am the true vine, he says, and my father's the gardener. And again, if we're going to replace the, the words with a word, capital W, to get revelation, what you would say is, the word is the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Y'all see that? Verse two, and, and I would like to say this, it's not, it is a reality. He's talking about grapes here because you can actually see in some translations the word vine dresser. How many of y'all have that in your Bible? Yeah. So he says that my father is the vine dresser. So he is talking about grapes here. Isn't it interesting that this happens to be right before Jesus goes on to go through the Garden of Gethsemane experience? And i got to tell you this morning, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, that's no coincidence that he's talking about grapes. That's no coincidence that he decides to use the parable of grape growing and grape cultivation right before the fruit of the Word of God, of the living Father God that was sit down here, was fixing to go to the wine press and be squeezed out in that garden experience. So the essence of his life could flow forth, of his sacrifice. So this is right before the garden experience, you know, not too long before it. So I don't find that, I mean, I find that neat. Here Jesus talking about the vine because I got to tell you, Jesus is thinking in the back of his soul about how his life relates to this and how his fruitfulness that God's called him to bear relates to this. And it says that he cuts off, verse 2, every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so when I go back to this this uh, illustration here, this is what he's talking about. He's This right here represents Jesus. This trunk, this cordon, these spurs. But if I could have backed off my, ca- my caffeine this morning and, and hold that still, do you see that little bitty thing right there? That is us. That is you. That is me. Those are the branches that after the the growing season, the onset of the growing season will elaborate a growth for the energy of that vine to produce a fruit on. And so what Jesus is talking about, the pruning of the vine dresser, that's what he's talking about. And this pruning takes place. We talked about last, last week, this pruning takes place, folks, constantly. There's an off-season dormant period pruning. That's the most important pruning, and that's when this, that's when this effort is done. 
Then there is actually pruning whenever the foliage and stuff comes on and even the grape cluster. Because you want to shape the grape cluster by pruning the end of it off. Not too much, just enough. And you can shape and round that cluster out. And I tell you, when I spent a cup, nearly two or three, two and a half hours probably studying about grapes, I was amazed. I was blown away. I did not realize all the work it takes to cultivate grapes. And I got to tell you this morning, the Father God's got a lot of work ahead of him. Just for me, folks, I'm one vine or one branch. He's got lots to prune here in this branch. How about your branches? And I told you that in cultivating grapes, nearly 90% of the previous year's growth is cut off every year. Every year. Every year. To continue forcing the energy and the life that's in that vine to a productive end. Amen? Okay. I got to talk about something right quick. Let me digress for just a second or a minute here. Ron came up to me. We were talking about opinions. Y'all remember that? I got into a particularly passionate, I got a partic- into a particularly passionate moment about opinions and about absolute truth and the fact that what you see in the word of God is absolute truth. It's you, it's not that you compare the word to everything else. It's that everything else gets compared to the word. And if it don't line up, trash it. Simple as that. Simple as that. Keep you out of trouble. Keep you in the vine. Keep the life divine flowing through you. Okay, and so remember I told you that opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them and they sometimes stink. Opinions, not truth. It might be, but not all the time. Opinion is not truth, folks. Because opinions come and go, but the truth remains, and it will remain forever. And so anyway, so Ron came up to me after the after the deal, and he said, does that mean we need to put on our spiritual right guard? And I said, brother, that'll preach. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, there is a spiritual right guard. It's called the Holy Ghost. It's called the co-witness within you that when you're about to say something and you hear that, eh, eh, don't say it. You know, it's it, it's called when you're about to do something and you just got something inside of you. I like what Brother Hagin used to always say. It's like washing your feet with your socks on. There's a lot of the elements of what you're experiencing that seem right, but something's a little bit off. That's how you follow the Holy Ghost. You listen to that. If something's a little bit off, folks, don't transgress that. Don't go against that. I don't care what your mind's telling you. And most certainly, if it's against the Word of God, forget it. Forget it. Okay, so spiritual right guard. I just had some notes to talk about that. There you go, Ron. I don't know where you're at. Okay, so verse 2. So the gardener or the vine dresser, like I said in some translations, that's the Father God. He cuts off the unproductive growth to promote fruiting growth. And so we've talked about this picture and we've talked about uh, some of the elements of the cultivation of grapes to provide a backdrop to this, to understand it. And it says that 
In verse 3, it says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Okay, so let me back up to verse 2 right quick. And let me just put the word, I'm going to go through here and just try to remember to replace the things with a capital W word. He cuts off every branch. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, said it will be even more fruitful. And then in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Okay, so in, uh, in verse 3, Jesus tells them that, look, guys, I've just given you a little bit of an understanding with respect to how you understand how grapes are cultivated and that it requires a lot of pruning effort. And I'm telling you, it's the same for your life, too, with respect to your relationship to me, the living word, capital W. You've got to stay in me to receive the life that comes through me. And I've got to get that life in you. And the only way that can happen is if you stay in the vine, stay in me, the vine. But then there's going to be a process that our father, the vine dresser, is going to execute in your life all the time. And it's called pruning. And it also takes place by, guess what? The word, capital W. So the word is not only the vine. The word is the pruning agent. So i got to stop and say something this morning before we go on any further. If you don't get anything out of what we've talked about these past two weeks, I want you to leave here and you will... I will say that you will be uh, held accountable for an understanding of a little bit more of the importance of the word. How important is the word of God? It is the vine. It is the connection point for you to God, for you to Jesus. How important is the word? It is the, the ability and the agent to d- conduct the pruning, to dictate the growth to a fruitful end. Amen? So then I'm going to leave with a rhetorical question there and we'll go on. How important is the word? Now, Jesus said, so how did the pruning take place? How did they already become clean? And if you look at some translations, actually use the word pruned here for the word clean. He says, you are already clean. Well, you are already pruned by the word I have spoken to you. Well, the pruning, like we talked about, well, first of all, he uses the word spoken, the words I have spoken to you. That implies communication. That implies a message delivered, a message received. I think there's a lot of revelation that we could stop and get right there. It's not enough just to read the words on the page, uh, my brothers and sisters. It is what you have to do and what it takes for you to approach these words on a page with a heart of faith and an expectancy of spirit to receive that word, to receive a communication, to receive a download from the Holy Ghost. Jesus said when he, the Spirit comes, he'll lead you into truth and knowledge. He wants you to be led in the word and in the knowledge of it. He, he doesn't want you just to read it and memorize it and then you can pull out your, do your sword drills and get a, a, a blue ribbon for sword drills. That's a great thing. You want to get word in your life so that you can pull it out like a sword, cause it is. But I gotta tell you, when you pull that sword out, you better know how to use it. You better know whose authority is behind that sword. You better know what life and ability is behind that sword. You know, that I look at David's life whenever he went and Saul said, here, take my armor and go out there and fight the Philistine, little boy, because you have no armor. 
And that's the same thing. David tried to get up in that armor that he had no relationship with. He had no previous understanding of its use. And guess what? It wouldn't have been useful for him and he would have been killed. But he did go out in the power of the covenant with Almighty God and the one thing that he had reason of use with, and that was a sling. And I got to tell you, those stones represent revelation. They represent that foundation of in your life of the revealed knowledge of God about something, about his promises, about his faithfulness. About the fact that he never leaves or forsakes me no matter what I do. If I come back to him and stay penitent, my God is always there. And I tell you what, when he went in the power of his God in whom he had covenant and that Philistine did not, and he slung by way of the spirit of God that truth and understanding that he had just spoken out previously, you come to me with sticks, but I come to you in the name of the Lord my God in whom I have covenant and you don't. Now, that's the Greg version, but I like it. And he said, and I've got an understanding of that. Shoo, pow. You see that? Oh, man. Woo. So he's talking about being pruned here, and he said, by the words I've spoken to you. So it's got to be something that's communicated the word clean here is talking about the pruning that takes place in the different. And we told you, I told you that the pruning takes place in different seasons. There's pruning that takes place all the time. The most profound and, and important pruning takes place in the off season. Whenever there's no appearance of growth, whenever there's really no appearance of life, it looks like things are dead. But yet the father God, by way of the word, is working in your life to execute the potential for maximum fruitfulness. Whenever you think that there's nothing of God being born of your life, that's the time you're being pruned, brother and sister. That's the time that you need to be so grateful for the relationship to the word, and you need to draw close to that word. Let it have its perfect work. Let it prune you. Now, you know, I want to encourage you. I'm not going to go through it, but Jesus said, because of the words I've spoken to you, you're already clean. I invite you to go back through the book of John and just see the words he spoke to his disciples. You can get a lot of revelation because he said, I'm telling you, you're already clean, boys. And you're clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Well, you need to go back and see what words he's talking about. You know, I just, in my little bit of just going through it, I saw things like the cleansing of the temple. When he went in and said, my father's, this is not, this is a den of thieves. You know, he comes up in there, his zeal for the house of God that said it consumed him. He went up in there and, and, and brought correction. Do you think the disciples looked at him and said, dear Lord, Jesus is maniacal. He's going up in there with a whip and whipping all this stuff out that's been there for years. That's what the word of God will do. Guess what he was doing? He was pruning. The Holy Ghost just gave that to me. The word, Jesus, capital W, was going up into the church and pruning it. Y'all see that? That's just one thing that the disciples learned. What about the woman at the well? Oh, dear Lord. We could preach for several weeks on that. What about the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, the eat my flesh, drink my blood that a lot of people never did receive and actually went on and left him after that? 
What about the adulteress that was forgiven? What about the healing of the man born blind? What about the good shepherd? What about Lazarus? Oh my goodness, that's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Lazarus. What about Jesus washing their feet? What about the revelation of the Father and the Holy Spirit to come who would lead them? That's just a list of few things, folks, of the word that he spoke to them. The things that he, that he lived out before them. That, that was pruning them, pruning them, pruning them. So in summary, the word is both the vine and the pruning agent. So let's move on to verse four. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Again, let's just, let's just put the, our little revelatory, uh, substitution in here. Remain in the word as the word remains in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the word. Y'all see that? Oh my goodness. There's a lot of revelation when you make that replacement. So Jesus is instructing his disciples of the importance of remaining in him, the vine. And here's the thing. He brings out a couple of points. Number one, we're not called to produce apart from him. And you remember I talked about how grapes can be cultivated and they are propagated by vegetative cuttings. You could cut off snips of those of those branches and go plant them and they will take root and start another vine. But I got to tell you this morning, folks, that although that works for the grape, Although that that's an excellent way to propagate grapes in the same genetic stock and so forth to take from one area to another area, God hasn't called us to go separate from the word and produce on our own. You always stay grafted to the vine. Always. There's a nexus. There's a connection that has to be maintained at all times. So vegetative propagation works for grape, but we're called to stay in the vine. Our growth has has to be supported and fed by Jesus, the Word. And so by this Word, we understand very simply, folks, that we can disconnect from the vine. You're looking at me like, what? I'm not, it's not my words. Jesus said, abide in the vine. He said, stay in the vine. If he's telling you to stay in the vine, then is it possible that you probably can't stay or you won't, don't have to stay in the vine? You can disconnect. Well, we're going to find that out in the next, in the next verse or two. Yes, you can disconnect from the vine. Is it possible, Greg, that you can stay disconnected for a while and then connect back in? Yes. Is it possible that you can disconnect after you receive salvation and stay disconnected your whole life? Yes. And not be fruitful, not bear anything for the kingdom of God? Yes. Well, how can you say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go on to the next verse. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's use our translation. The word is the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in the word and I and the word in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from the word, you can do nothing. I love that trans, uh, I, I love to, to transpose and put that word in there. Man, you can get a lot of revelation looking at that, that way. 
It shows you how important the word is. So if we live disconnected from the word, if it has no place in our lives, we are no more than an unproductive branch. Let's look at verse six. If you do not remain in me. So those weren't my words a while ago that said, is it possible to disconnect? Now Jesus is telling you. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Oh, dear Lord, Greg, are you saying that this is a, is the proof of once saved or not against once saved, always saved? Oh no. Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with eternal security. So you're saying that Jesus said burn by fire, then that word fire always means hell. No, no, it don't mean hell. You prove it out for yourself, folks. You don't take my word for it. You prove it out and you judge this word by the spirit of God inside of you, the spirit of truth, and you see how it reconciles. This is how it reconciles in me. I'll tell you what he's talking about. These are the branches that are pruned off. They're picked up and burned. What does this represent? Everybody turn over to 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. How many of y'all have ever read this scripture and been confused by it? Oh, dear Lord, Greg, there's a possibility that after I've been grafted into the vine and I don't live uh, abiding in it and I fall away that I could go to hell. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand and, and, you know, concur with that. But I got to tell you, I've been confused by that too. Sometimes you read these words and you're like, it's just immediate. Your soul just makes an immediate replacement. Hell, fire, fire, hell, damnation. This, according to what the spirit of God, what my spirit seems right in here, this is what I believe he's talking about. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus again? The Word. You can't lay a foundation except the Word, a capital W. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, now we're talking about fruitfulness. Y'all see this? You're going to see it here real clear. If anyone builds on this foundation, so what would be the foundation? The vine. The vine. So what is the foundation, what is the growth for fruitfulness? Or as this scripture talks about, the building on that foundation. Well, he says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Does everyone see that? There's a lot of materials you can use to build on that foundation. A lot of them. It says their work will be shown for what it is. So now we understand that what Jesus, I believe by the spirit of God is talking about here with respect to branches that end up thrown into the fire and burned is exactly what Paul is, is, is iterating here in another sense. It is the fruitfulness of your life in this earth while you live. What fruit do you produce? What do you build on that foundation? What is it that you elaborate from the trunk and the, and the cordon? What is it that you produce from the vine? If you stay in the vine, you'll produce of like substance. And it says in verse uh, 13, it says, Their works will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with, guess what? Everybody say it out loud. Fire. 
And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Verse 15, if it is burned up, everybody say burned up. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And so I've got to sit here and tell you this morning, how can you read that and not understand what Jesus is talking about with respect to these branches? He's talking about a life that has been lived apart from the vine. And when you get to the end, yes, you are a child. You may be a child of God. Yes, you've got fire insurance and you're not going to go to an eternal separation from the living God, but you're not going to have a whole lot to show for your life for the kingdom. You're going to end up in a place whenever the fire of God's judgment comes to prove what it is your life actually elaborated in the vine or out of the vine, a good chunk of it's going to go poof. Does that register with anybody this morning? And I got to tell you, by way of the Spirit of God, God didn't call us to go for the end of our lives when we get to His judgment seat for it to go poof. He called us to come to where when he we step up and it's going to be a big old smile that comes up on his face if he touches it with the torch of his judgment and there is a lasting fruit. He's going to smile and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I got to tell you, folks, don't sit here and look at other people's lives and judge yourself based on what other people have elaborated. You and you alone are responsible between you and God what you elaborate in this earth in the way of fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. And I tell you what, it all comes back to the grace of God in your life, but you've got to continually posture yourself and posture yourself and position yourself to receive that which you don't have inside of you to live and do the things that you can do in Him, in the vine. My spirit's just going, Because it's resonating with that frequency of, yes, that's right. That's right. So if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch. That means your life is going to be like a branch when you get to the end. It's going to be nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to go poof. That's all it's good for. That's what Jesus says. He says here that you're like a branch. He doesn't say you are a branch. He said you're like a branch. Such type branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And so whenever we come to that fire of, of, you know, of proving, what is it that will be, that will remain? It's going to be your fruitfulness for the kingdom as you abide in the vine. Amen. Okay. Verse seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Goodness. Goodness. So many of us folks live our lives and we we wonder and we're bewildered at what we think to be an unfruitful prayer life. But I've got to say this morning by unction of the Spirit of God and the words of the vine this morning that if we stay connected with the Word... If we allow the word to come in us and have a work through us, the Bible is very clear. It's red letter in my Bible and yours. Jesus words saying that if you do this, you will have a productive prayer life. 
Or else, or else Jesus is lying. And we know him not to be a liar. He says that if my, if you if my words remain in you, if you remain in them and my words remain in you, he says, ask what you wish and it will be done. Now, I can't just go on and not qualify though what that's talking about. So in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, just write it down and listen to what, what I'm, I'm going to read it. But 1 John 5, 14 through 15, what's Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about the key to answered prayer is what John, guess what? In 1 John chapter 5, the same guy that wrote this account is writing and, and elaborating by the way of the Spirit of God a further revelation in this concept, and that is this. Verse 14, this is the confidence. Everybody say confidence. Everybody say confidence. Yes, you can have confidence before God. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Does this sound familiar? And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, does this sound familiar? We know that we have what we've asked of him. So here it is, folks. The key to answered prayer is praying according to the will of God. And how do we pray according to the will of God? When we abide in the vine and let that juice and life of the word, which is the vine, come with up within us, and we pray the word of God, you're praying out the will of God. And he says that when you pray out the will of God, he hears every word you utter. Every word. And it says that if he hears every word, then he's going to answer whatever it is you ask. You have it. I tell you this morning, that ought to provoke some hope. If you sit here this morning and you're looking at something that mankind cannot make an adjustment for, that your strength and your energies fall short of being able to change or transform, I'm here this morning to deliver good news, folks. The Bible's very clear that with, that with God, nothing, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible to him that believes. So what you have to do is make sure you're believing the right thing and then get that belief in your mouth and speak it out. Make your petitions before the Father God according to his word, according to his promises, folks. Whatever that situation might be that seems like it is impossible, God is possible. I really want to end right there because I want to keep my track record of being done 10 minutes ahead of time. That's important to me. I'm going to leave you. Is everybody ready for a flashbang? You know what a flashbang is? People have been in the military and so forth. Yeah, Charlie knows what a flashbang is. I'm about to deliver a flashbang of the word, brother. Are you ready? Okay, he's ready. First of all, let me finish up verse 8. And we're really not done here. 
but but we're going to be done for for right now. It says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And I've got to say that this has a relation to the previous verse with regard to answered prayer. I think for you to, to see the fruitfulness born out in your life, you've got to engage prayer, folks. If you're not going to engage the, if you're not going to engage prayer, engrafted into the word and allowing that to flow through you, then you can't expect to bear a whole lot of fruit. You bear that fruit through a prayer life. That is word, 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 word. Okay, so let's move on to that. I, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to deliver the revelation. I can't, I don't have time to do it. So here goes the flashbang, Charlie. You ready? The first thing, the parable about conveying the importance of the word, about everything that he's talked about here. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that verses 9 through 17 provide a further revelation about fruitfulness. And it's called the love walk. So you guys study that out for yourself. The Holy Spirit's a teacher, not me. The Holy Spirit's a teacher. Get in those verses 9 through 17, and you look into what I would call an, a further elaboration of what Jesus has been talking about, uh, about fruitfulness, and you're going to see it's about love, 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 laying down your life, laying down your life, loving. You're going to see about it. Man, okay, I'm going on. I mean, my spirit is just about to explode because I got so much stuff I'd like to be able to deliver. I just don't have time. Okay, so the spiritual flashbang, comparable, conveying the importance of the word. So what is it that Jesus is really saying here? Let's sum it up this way. Get connected. Get grafted in the vine. If you sit here this morning and you are not born of one spirit into one body, I entreat of you by the spirit of God this morning. Come down here and receive the eternal word of God in your life. Get connected. Get grafted into the vine. Number two, stay connected. So once you get connected, it's not enough just to say I'm a Christian. But now what you have to do is you have to continue to abide by getting into his word, by reading his word, by listening to good teaching, by the whole time during that whole process, asking the Holy Spirit to deliver the revelation to your spirit, which will then be the candle of the Lord that will bring illumination and understanding to your mind. Stay connected. Read his word with intent to receive his conversation, his communion. Number three, live the word. Be a doer. Abiding in the vine is not just about reading the book and being able to quote a bunch of scriptures. Abiding in the vine is not just about reading, getting up in the morning every day and saying, I read my two chapters. Abiding in the vine is doing what it says. Abiding actually is more about doing than it is about the reading. And if you don't believe me, you can look at Jesus' use of the parable of the mustard seed. It didn't take a huge seed to elaborate that growth. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed you've ever going to see. But when you put that in the ground, it grows up to be something big enough for birds to come and land on. And I got to tell you, if you can just get that amount of word inside of you, the potential of the almighty God is in that. And it will, if it will, if you'll allow it to become engrafted in you, it will produce a harvest, folks. But you've got to abide. You've got to abide in it by doing it. So when you receive that word, do it. I love James chapter one says it the best. 
Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Oh my goodness, James, half brother of Jesus. He knew what he was talking about. He was around Jesus a little bit. Do it. And number four of the flashbang, allow the pruning. Allow the pruning of the word of God in your lives. Don't recoil away. Pruning is a cutting. And I got to tell you, when I'm being cut, it don't feel very good, does it, Charlie? If you've ever been cut deeply, it doesn't feel good. And I tell you what, when you get cut in your soul, it hurts even more because it's called pride. It's called ego. It's called my life and my agendas. And God, what are you doing interrupting those and cutting them and trying to cut those out of the picture? But yet that's what the word of God will do. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Five minutes ahead of six minutes ahead of time. Oh, Father, we invite the work of the word of God, Jesus. We invite the light, Jesus. We invite you into our lives. Come, O light of the Father, and be revealed unto us today in a greater measure. O precious vine of God, we desire more than ever to just be grafted more fully, more fully, more fully into you. And abide more fully, more fully, more fully into you, Jesus. Because we want the life of the Father as you lived a life here. To be expressed through us so that people can look and say, There is a disciple of the living God as the fruitfulness of the kingdom was born. And we praise you for a season of fruitfulness, Father God. You've called these people to. You've called this church to this year, O God. And God, it's going to come by way of us abiding in the vine. It's going to come by way of us abiding in your word and allowing it to have presence, allowing it to move back and forth in our lives and bring life, allowing it to prune, Father, the agendas and the things of our suke out of the way so that the pneuma can come forth. Thank you, O God, for the precious word of the living God, living and eternal the foundation upon which our house will not be shaken. Thank you, Father, for the precious word that came and took upon itself flesh and sacrificed himself on the, for the behalf of all men. We're just grateful to, this morning for that word, and we thank you that it will go internally. It will become engrafted, O oh God, and become, Father God, a fruitful, fruitful, producing harvest, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.